Well, we welcome everyone this morning to Bible class, and especially those listening uh, to us on KFUO. We're continuing our study of Romans, and this morning we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to start with Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Verse 14. Now, before we get into the verses, I want to talk about another matter just for a few minutes that helps shed light on the understanding of this chapter. If you study the New Testament and you look at the Greek, you're going to find that there are over 20 words used for proclaiming the, the gospel. Uh, now, there are a number in English, too, like announce, declare, engage, etc. But as we study those words, in the Greek New Testament, what we look for is what is the setting and what's going on with the use of each word? Is there something unique about one word that it's used in this setting and one word that it's used in another setting? Now, there are two major words that talk about preaching the gospel. Um, Keruso is one of them, and that's the, that's the big one. But let's talk about that word for a minute. It actually comes from the word herald. You know, to herald an event. A herald was actually a king's servant. The king would have a herald, and what the herald would do is take the king's words to people. Now, there were certain things that were not allowed if you were a herald. You could not delay getting the message out, and you could not change one word of it. It had to be announced just as the king had said it. That has lots of implications for the preaching of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is the king. And those that go out in his name should do so quickly. The word needs to get out. And we don't change the word. Because that is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, the word Russo, herald, has a lot of meaning, even from ancient times, that we can now apply to the preaching of the gospel. The other one is Eangelizomai, which is proclaiming the good news. Now, the unique thing, and the reason I'm telling you this is, these two words are used predominantly when the gospel is being proclaimed to unbelievers. And in chapter 10 of Romans, they are the predominant verbs. In other words, chapter 10 of Romans is evangelistic. Paul is talking about preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles 
who do not believe in Jesus Christ. He is not preaching to fellow Christians. He's teaching the Romans, who are Christians, that the gospel has got to be preached to those who do not believe. And that is why I bring this up, uh, because the preaching here is to unbelievers. Paul wants to bring the gospel to those who have not heard and who do not believe, both Jews and Gentiles. That is his emphasis in this chapter. So with that in mind, let's pick up at verse 14. Verses 14 and 15 are some questions, and they're in reverse order, okay? And we'll talk about that. How, will, uh, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So you could go the other way and say, we send out preachers so people can hear, so people will believe. Okay? And by the way, the four key verbs in those sentences if you go over to Concordia Seminary, there's a small chapel called the Chapel of the Holy of Holies, right below the bell tower, and there's an altar in there. And these four verbs are there, because this is the seminary's work, to send. So there is preaching, so there is hearing, so there is believing. So it's very appropriate uh, in that little chapel. Now, let's look at this from the standpoint of some... Uh, the concept of hearing. Hearing is a passive event. You don't have to do anything to hear. You just sit there. Okay? You don't contribute anything, you just hear. That is the way it is, and we're going to apply that more because it, the emphasis is we're not, we're not a part of this. Notice also that there is no emphasis on who is sent. Just send somebody. There is no determining factor of who proclaims the word. It's that it's being proclaimed. It does not depend on the person proclaiming the word. It depends on the word itself. So as long as the person is proclaiming the word, and people are listening, 
God's going to work. God's going to work. Paul's concern here is that the word is getting out. They can't believe it if they haven't heard it. Verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Doesn't matter who's doing it. It just needs to be done. Now, verse 16 is, we want to talk about this a few minutes. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. That is an absolutely horrible, terrible, awful, abominable translation. Okay? It's horrible. Because what does it teach? That the gospel is something to be obeyed. That introduces works. It's something I do. It's something I contribute. It's a part of it that uh, I work on. The obedience of the gospel is used elsewhere, but it's used in a context that once you believe, you seek to do God's will. But just to obey the gospel. Now, most translations say that the word that is used there has a root in the middle of it. And the root word in the middle of that Greek word is here. Here. So, a better way to translate it would be, but they have not all heard responsively. That is, they have not all heard the word and believed. Okay? They have not all heard the word and believed. Um, you could, some, some translations just translate it, believe. But they have not heard responsively. In other words, they've heard the gospel, but it's not done them any good. You know, the, the Lutheran confessors are writing theology in the formula of Concord, and they're talking about hearing the word. And then they suddenly say, but you can stop up your ears if you want to. So when you hear the gospel, you can stop up your ears. When you hear the gospel, you cannot pay attention. When you hear the gospel... 
You can reject it. You can reject it. But obey here is a very bad translation. It's better translated either hear responsively or believe. But they have not all believed the gospel. And then look at the next verse. That's what the context says. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So the, the context is faith. The context is not obedience. Okay? Not obedience. We are talking about faith in the gospel here. Faith in the gospel. Now, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. All right, so a person passively hears the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And faith then, hearing then, all of it is based on the word of Christ. The Lutheran church is a church of the word. We believe the word is powerful. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The word has power. And this is an excellent way day to talk about that because it's Pentecost. When you go home and you're reading a novel, it's words on a page. When you read the Bible, it is living and active. Because the difference is, when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit comes to you with that word. He comes to you. He has all power. And he seeks to work faith in you. He seeks to work change in you. So, you may passively sit there and hear the gospel, but it is not a static word. It is a dynamic word. It is a powerful word. And after hearing, when the Holy Spirit works in you, faith comes from that hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It doesn't come from other words. It comes from the word of Christ. And that's how we get faith. We confess that this morning. Luther's meaning to the third article of the creed. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. 
but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps me in the one true faith. Which is the very reason in the Lutheran Church we don't have altar calls. Because no one can come to faith on their own. God is a God of means. God is a God of means. So the Holy Spirit does not come to you while you're walking down the street and just fall on you and make you nutsy. Not the way God works. It worked. In fact, the people that used to believe that in Luther's day were called shwarmeri. Go figure that. Shwarmeri. You're just walking down the street and the Holy Spirit falls on you. The Bible doesn't teach that. God is a God of means. So how does God see to it that children are raised? He gives them parents. How does God figure out how to keep society going? He gives government. How does he work faith in people? Through the word. Through baptism. How does he heal the sick? through doctors and nurses and medicine. Now, he can do the extraordinary. He can do the miracle, but that's up to him. In most cases, he's going to work through the means that he has put in this world in creation. In creation. The means that he uses in this, Paul is pointing to, is faith. You hear, and God the Holy Spirit works through the Word and works faith in your heart. It is God's means of working faith. Now, He does that through baptism too, but baptism is what? Water and the... Word. Lord's Supper, there's nowhere promises the Lord's Supper is going to originate faith. You don't take the Lord's Supper to get faith when you're an unbeliever. There are no promises to that effect. The Lord's Supper is given to those who do believe to strengthen their faith. Baptism and the Word of God are what give us faith. Work faith in us. That is where the Holy Spirit is working to call us to faith. But as the Lutheran confessor said, you can always stop up your ears. So, then the question always becomes, why do some people hear the word and believe, and other people hear the word and reject. If they believe it's God's doing, if they reject, it's their own dumb fault. 
That's the teaching. That's the teaching. If you go, okay, there's, there's two other ways to go. The first of all is to blame God for it all. That's double predestination. That's the fact that God, before the foundation of the world, decided you're in, you're out, and there's nothing can be done about it. So the question is, why are some saved and some damned? It's an unanswerable question, but some try to blame God. On the other extreme, those that believe in total free will believe that when you hear the message, it is your decision. Your decision. You make it. And you have the strength to make it. To either decide to believe or not to believe. Lutherans in the middle, and of course we're right. Because the scriptures teach that if you're saved, it's God's doing. If you're damned, it's your doing. And so, we shouldn't ask the question, why do some believe the gospel and some don't? The only thing we can do is say, how can we continue to make sure the gospel is preached? Because even though somebody might reject it the first time, five years later, they're in a different place in their life. And all of a sudden, they want to hear. All we can do is ask those first questions. They come back around. Since we can't control who believes and who doesn't, the only questions we ask is, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Our task is to focus on sending, getting the message out so that people can hear it. That's our concern. We'll leave the rest to God. We'll leave the rest to God. Yeah, but... Yep. Yep. Um, you are... You are right, because... Uh, uh, but notice that the emphasis keeps coming back over and over in these verses. Look how many times the word here is used. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, 
it's, uh, she's saying that every time you pick up the Word of God, it's going to be different for you. It's going to affect you differently. I mean, people ask pastors, how can you preach on the Christmas reading every year for 40 years? How can you preach on He is risen every year for 40 years? But I can tell you, every year when it comes time, you pick it up and you read it and you see something you haven't thought of before. That's the Holy Spirit working because we never know enough. We never learn enough. Uh, I've often thought the goal of a seminary education is to teach a guy he's stupid and he's got to learn the rest of his life. Okay? That's a good outcome. That's a good outcome. Um, because the Word is always going to speak to you. The Word is always going to speak to you. Okay. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the, it actually says, to the limits of the inhabitable earth. To the limits of the inhabitable earth. Now this is an interesting quotation. This quotation comes from Psalm 19. If you look at Psalm 19, the opening verses are, the heavens declare his handiwork. Psalm 19 is all about how the creation proclaims that there is a God. That there is a God. But Paul puts a new light on it. When it says their voice, if you read Psalm 19, it's talking about the voice of the moon and the sun and the stars proclaiming that God is, God is there. That he made all this. But now, Paul applies it to the gospel. Okay? Now it's not the voices of all these things in creation, it's the voices of the people that are proclaiming the gospel. The voices of those proclaiming the gospel have gone out to all the earth, and their words to the limits or boundaries of the inhabitable world. Okay? Now it's not saying that everybody's heard the gospel. Not saying that. It's just saying the voice is going out. Okay? And I'm not talking about just pastors, folks. This is anybody that proclaims the gospel in any format, at any time, if there's just two people sitting there.
It's the voice of the gospel, and people hear it, and it can be that time where the Holy Spirit works faith in them. That time. So the voice goes out to all the world. Okay. But I ask, did Israel not understand? Okay. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. All right. Now we're talking about the total plan of God's salvation. Now, this passage comes from... Um, Deuteronomy 32.21. In other words, Paul is quoting a verse that they have heard before. That they have heard before. What does this verse mean? If you have two children, and one of them is behaving properly, and one of them is not. And you decide to give to the one behaving properly a reward, a blessing. What are you trying to teach the other one? Do better. And you will get the blessing. Okay? That's what's happening here. That's what God is doing here. He knew the Jews would reject Jesus Christ. But he still loves them. The people that the Jews hated the most were the Gentiles. They were the lowest of the low. And then the Apostle Paul comes along, and all these Gentiles believe. Believe. He's trying to make, and they receive the blessings, forgiveness, everlasting life. He's trying to make the Jews jealous so they will come to their senses. So they will come to their senses. He made the Jews jealous of those who are not a nation. Israel believed they were the only nation, the Jews, the only nation called by God, but now God is using all these Gentiles who are not a nation as far as they're concerned to make them jealous so they'll clean up their act and believe. With a foolish nation, that's what he's saying about the Gentiles, I will make you angry. He'll be angry that the Gentiles believe. 
God is trying to use this to get them to come to faith. To get their attention. To get their intention. That's what's being said here. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, okay, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is from Isaiah 65, 2. What God is saying here is, the Gentiles were not seeking God. They weren't seeking him. But he made himself known to them. He made himself known to them. They did not ask for it, but he gave it. That's a reminder of the verse we read up in 9 verse 30. It said, what shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. They didn't pursue it, but they attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. By faith. Okay? So again, he's trying to get the Jews' attention. Then it says, finally, but if... Uh, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Okay? All those, and I wouldn't, you know, he's applying it to, to the nation of Israel here, but that could be to every person on earth. Because every person on earth that is born in sin is contrary and disobedient. But still, God keeps trying to save them. Still tries to reach out to them. Still works. Still tries to get them the word. And instead of us saying, well, uh, who's going and who's not, our task is to be God's instruments to get that word out. Even if there is somebody that's contrary and disobedient, Jew or Gentile, God wants them saved. He is serious when he says God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is what he wants. And at times... He is actually gracious enough to use us as instruments to get it done. It's a privilege to be used in that capacity by God. Okay. Questions? Yeah, Don. No, uh, the question is, how can we say that when 
we preach the gospel that somebody in the congregation has not heard that gospel, believed, and we could have an altar call and have them come forward. Okay. The answer to that is this. We are teaching by doing that that a person has made a decision to believe. Now, what I would say about it is this. A person saying, I believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit's already worked the faith. The conversion is over. It's past. It's what we talked about last week about the word confession. What is confession? Saying something you've heard. A confession of faith is simply saying the word of Christ that you heard. We don't want to do anything that makes anybody believe they had a hand in this. And that's why we don't do it. We don't want somebody coming to church and say, I've decided to believe in Jesus. Okay? No, you haven't. The Holy Spirit worked the faith in you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when it's done. But we just don't uh, start publicly doing that uh, because it emphasizes the wrong thing. The wrong thing. Yeah. It would be better to just say, everybody that believes in Jesus here, come forward. That would send the right message. Okay? That would send the right message. Yes, Bud. Those last verses about how he's working through long as held up my mind so much terrible of the son that goes off and comes back and the father throws a party and the other the prodigal son. Yeah. Yes, and that is used as an example. Um, the prodigal son comes home and dad throws a party and it makes the older son mad. The parable of the prodigal son is told against the Pharisees. Pharisees are the older son. The younger son are the tax collectors and sinners. The party is thrown for them, and it makes the older son mad. But does it make any difference? Do they just stay mad? Or does somebody... There's actually two parables here. The parable of the younger son and the parable of the older son. And uh, uh, that's an example of the very thing being talked about here of God trying to make the Jews jealous, get their attention, so they will come to faith. 
so they will come to faith. Yes, Paul. Well, what I... I would say when Jesus stands at the door and knocks, if you open it, the Holy Spirit, Jim, made you do it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, now, I would say this. Uh, let, me, let me comment on this. And this is one argument. Who's your audience that you're preaching to? Who's your audience? When I stood in the pulpit and preached, it's 95% fellow Christians. 95% fellow Christians. Do you reconsider the altar call when you're preaching to 95% unbelievers? I don't know. I've never been in that situation. You want to preach so that if there's someone there that doesn't know the gospel, they clearly hear it. They clearly hear it. But we have to, tr we're going to preserve the doctrine in the Lutheran Church that nobody can make their decision for Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one working in them so that they believe. They don't decide. The power of the Spirit works faith in their heart. Yeah, and, and the, the, the comment is, um, on the other side, they say when they have altar calls that they're convicted by the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a problem with that word, because that's a law word. Yeah. Yeah, he does. But if you look at that, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, not our work. And I think the Lutheran Church's uh, position on altar calls is trying to do everything they can to preserve that without letting some teaching in the back door. Letting some teaching in the back door. Besides, no Lutheran had ever come forward in their life. Let's just cut to the chase. Okay. All right. Other questions? All right. Now, just for fun, just as a teaser, look at now. He's talked about the Jews, what he's doing. Chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. That's where we pick up next September with that question.
And chapter 11 is about that, okay? What about the remnant of Israel? Okay, I want to remind you that next week, the Gospel of Luke begins, taught by the three pastors. They'll be rotating depending on who's not preaching, and uh, they will teach the Gospel of Luke. They're simply going to go as far as they get before I want to start again. And then sometime in September, I'll start Romans again. We should be done with Romans by Christmas. Maybe Thanksgiving, who knows? Okay. But uh, it's been great. I have enjoyed it tremendously. And uh, let's close the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.